Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, August 16th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Melissa Topshire. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. A U.S. watchdog plans to regulate the surveillance industry. Suspected Russian spies are reportedly detained in the U.K. The ruble slides to a 17-month low. Trump is indicted in the Fulton County, Georgia case. A deadly explosion strikes the Dominican Republic. China stops reporting on youth unemployment. Vice allegedly blocked stories that could offend Saudi Arabia. Former police officers plead guilty in the torture of two black men in Mississippi. A U.S. judge backs youth activists in a historic climate case. And NASA logs the hottest July on record. In our top story, a U.S. agency plans to announce a surveillance industry regulation. Here are the facts as agreed upon by American Banker, NBC, and CNN. Rohit Chopra, the director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, a U.S. government agency, will announce Tuesday a new rule to restrict the types of consumer data that can be sold by businesses. It will require data brokers or any other company in the so-called surveillance industry to be covered by the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Bureau officials have already stated that they aim to broaden the number of companies currently subject to the 53-year-old law, including the use of data derived from payment histories, personal income, and criminal records. The Bureau wants to ensure that data brokers selling sensitive information do so only for valid financial purposes, such as employment background checks or credit decisions, rather than to give third parties unnecessary access to private data for self-interested reasons. Examples of third-party use could include training artificial intelligence algorithms or chatbots. This follows a public bureau inquiry in March that found data brokers reported consumers in financial distress to companies who then targeted them with schemes such as predatory debt products. Alongside the consumer agency, the Federal Trade Commission last year also proposed a set of regulations aimed at restricting how businesses collect and use consumer data. Though Congress has debated the issue for years, it has failed to pass a nationwide data privacy law. Thank you, Eric. And those were the facts of that story. And on this program, we separate the facts from the narrative spins. And we'll begin this round with a Democratic narrative from the White House. The Biden administration has worked to protect sensitive consumer data since he took office. Prompted by a series of executive orders, the White House has strengthened bureaucratic powers to hold tech companies accountable and stop them from stealing digital data. As AI grows in importance, Biden is taking steps to protect citizens from the surveillance industrial complex. We counter that with the Republican narrative coming from the Federalist. Sadly, Biden's history with tech companies shows the White House has no intention of protecting all Americans. If his administration actually cared about this, they wouldn't have demanded that big tech suppress conservative speech from social media. Bullying platforms to censor conservative users require leveraging surveillance state techniques. The American people deserve better policies and First Amendment protections. And frequently on this show, we get a nerd narrative. This comes from the Metaculous Prediction community. And this time it says there's a 29% chance that a dense machine learning model with at least 100 trillion parameters will be trained before 2026. How many parameters do you have? I don't know. Maybe I have 10. Melissa, I have to say, (laughs) I can attest to that. You've got great parameters. Thanks. They are my best feature. Want to help us improve the news? Go to improvethenews.org slash pod and take our quick survey and tell us what you think. And now back to the news. Suspected Russian spies are held in a major UK security investigation. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, The Guardian. 
Reuters, The Evening Standard, The Independent, TASS, and LBC. The BBC has revealed that three Bulgarian nationals have been arrested and charged for possessing identity documents with improper intention, having been held in custody since February, reportedly on suspicions of being spies for Russia. The three alleged spies are named Orlin Rusev, Bezer Jambazo, and Katrin Ivanova. While five were initially detained in February, only three have been charged. The BBC has reported that the three held identity cards and passports from the UK, Bulgaria, France, Italy, Spain, Croatia, Slovenia, Greece, and the Czech Republic. The Metropolitan Police have declined to comment on whether the three are suspected of being spies, but have confirmed that five were arrested under the Official Secrets Act earlier this year, and that the three appeared at London's Old Bailey Court in July. Ivanova's LinkedIn profile describes her as a medical laboratory assistant at a private health firm, while Rusev's LinkedIn profile claims he previously advised Bulgaria's Ministry of Energy. Jambazov was believed to have been a driver for hospitals. The further two individuals arrested in February were released on bail the same month and remain under investigation. Ken McCallum, the director general of MI5, stated during his most recent annual threat update that the agency was working intensively to prohibit Russian covert action. The Russian and Bulgarian embassies are yet to comment on the allegations. Melissa, thank you for the facts of that story. We begin our round of spins with Narrative A. It's coming from Politico. Following last year's mass exodus of Russian intelligence influence out of Europe, Moscow is attempting to aggressively rebuild its network in the West. European agencies continue to respond to this threat and are keeping their guard up as tensions with Russia remain at their highest since the end of the Cold War. And Narrative B comes from The Guardian. It's unknown whether the West is getting better at detecting Russian spies or whether Russia is simply spying more. Despite recent European success, it's agreed that the Kremlin still poses a larger intelligence threat than any other country. It still remains a legitimate possibility that Western knowledge of Russia's spy network is merely the tip of an extensive and effective iceberg. We continue with news from Russia as they raise interest rates to 12% amid a 17-month ruble low. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, CNN, and Al Jazeera. Russia's central bank on Tuesday hiked interest rates from 8.5% to 12% in an emergency move aimed at stemming rising inflation and strengthening the ruble, which on Monday slid to its lowest point since the early weeks of the Ukraine war. After Russia launched its invasion in February of 2022, a raft of sanctions caused its currency to plummet to as low as 136 rubles to the dollar. But by June, as oil and gas prices surged, it rocketed to 50 rubles to the dollar, making it one of the best-performing currencies in the world. However, by January of this year, the European countries weaned themselves off Russian oil and gas, a major source of income for the Kremlin. The ruble slid to roughly 66 to the dollar. It has since continued to slump, and on Monday it slid past 101 rubles to the dollar, wiping off more than a quarter of its value since the beginning of the year. After Tuesday's central bank announcement, the tide subsided and the currency returned to roughly 98 rubles to the dollar. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins, beginning with a pro-Russia narrative from TASS. The weakened ruble has been caused by monetary policy that's allowed Russian borrowing to go up and up, thus increasing the money supply and driving up inflation. Nonetheless, Russia's central bank has all the necessary tools at its disposal to tackle this problem, and the trend will soon be reversed. We follow that up with an anti-Russian narrative coming from CNN. 
The slump in Russia's currency is a consequence of the Western sanctions that have squeezed Russia's economy, largely in the form of decreased income from exports of Russian oil and gas. The Kremlin is also spending more and more on its war effort. Therefore, its public finances are taking a toll. And the nerds from Metaculus are at it again, this time with a prediction saying there's a 78% chance that Russia's GDP will be at least $1.5 trillion in 2030, based on 2015 U.S. currency. Trump is indicted in Georgia in the 2020 election loss case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Reuters, BBC News, NPR Online News, Al Jazeera, Sky News, and The Independent. On Monday, a grand jury in Georgia issued an indictment against Donald Trump, accusing the former president of attempting to overturn his 2020 election loss to Joe Biden. This marks the fourth time Trump has been criminally charged in five months. The 98-page indictment lists 41 charges against 19 defendants, including Trump's former lawyer Rudy Giuliani, former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, and former White House lawyer John Eastman. All the defendants are accused of breaking Georgia's Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organization Act, or RICO, by allegedly trying to copy election data and convince lawmakers to throw out legitimate election results. The indictment also highlights an alleged plot to tamper with voting machines in a Georgia county, as well as Trump's reported request to Georgia's Republican Secretary of State to, quote, find enough votes to reverse his election loss. The Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis has given the defendants until midday on August 25th to surrender to the police and is reportedly hoping to confirm a trial date within the next six months. Meanwhile, Trump claims the indictment as part of a broader witch hunt ahead of the 2024 presidential elections, in which he remains the frontrunner for Republican candidacy. Melissa, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is a pro-Trump narrative coming from Trending Politics News. With the indictment having been accidentally released by the Fulton County Clerk of Courts before the grand jury had even voted, the rigged nature of the American legal system is blatantly apparent to witnesses. Trump's right to due process has been continually violated, while the speed and timing of prosecutors' attacks can only be viewed as politically motivated. And CNN brings us a Democratic narrative. The improvement Trump is continuing to gain in the polls from his growing list of indictments is most likely a temporary high. The reality of Trump's legal woes will soon become apparent, and his GOP support will wane, with a vast amount of campaign funds being directed towards court battles rather than electioneering. Trump's current aura of invincibility is unsustainable. We have a nerd narrative for this story as well, and it's coming from the Metaculous Prediction community. They say there's a 40% chance that Donald Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before 2030. That was what, like 20% last week? Or 30, wasn't it? Oh, was it? I feel like it was hanging out at like 38, 35, something like that. I mean, that's a pretty big one, being indicted for treason. (laughs) Yeah, it is pretty bad. Tragic news coming from the Dominican Republic, as at least 10 are dead after an explosion. Here are the facts as agreed upon by CNN, ABC News, Independent, WION, NBC, and Associated Press. A deadly explosion left at least 10 people dead and another 37 injured in San Cristobal, Dominican Republic, on Monday, according to the office of President Luis Abinader. Abinader's officer also reported Tuesday that 11 more are missing following the blast. President Abinader visited the site of the explosion, located just west of the capital city, Santo Domingo. He called for the search of survivors, quote, very difficult, and said that authorities were still trying to extinguish the fire amid the debris of collapsed buildings and destroyed vehicles. 
The explosion occurred at a bakery in San Cristobal's old marketplace city center, and the fire spread throughout the area to a hardware store and furniture store. The cause of the explosion remains unknown, and there has been no preliminary estimate of damages. The National Health Service reported that a four-month-old baby died in the tragedy along with two adults, whose bodies were 90% burned. 20 ambulances and 14 fire trucks were sent to the scene to rescue victims. Health Minister Daniel Rivera says authorities haven't been able to access Ground Zero where the explosion happened due to the continued burning. Rivera added that he and other officials will deliver masks to people and determine if they've had any respiratory or skin problems. Minister of the Presidency Joel Santos says the government is investigating the business in the area to determine if they were abiding by appropriate regulations. Those were the facts, and here are the narrative spins, beginning with a narrative A from Oi. Following the explosion in San Cristobal, many people throughout Latin America are living in fear about which future catastrophes could lie ahead. As local factories continue to manufacture plastics, there could be an increased risk that plants aren't abiding by the proper safety protocols and that government officials will continue turning a blind eye. Government officials in the Dominican Republic must turn up their level of scrutiny on businesses that circumvent regulations and expose entire communities to tragedies like this tragedy. Narrative B comes from Life Marches. President Abin Otter and the government of the Dominican Republic are working tirelessly to help all of the victims impacted by Monday's explosion in San Cristobal. Not only is the government providing resources for the people of San Cristobal, but it's also investigating the cause of the explosion to ensure no such tragedy happens again. Authorities will investigate all businesses to ensure they are compliant with safety regulations and crack down on those that aren't following the rules. China stops releasing youth employment data. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Guardian, CNN, The Washington Post, and Time. After youth unemployment rates hit a record 21.3% in June, China's National Bureau of Statistics has announced that it will halt releasing those numbers to further improve and optimize labor force survey statistics. This is the latest month in a series of consecutive record highs, with the youth unemployment rate from April to June rising to 20.4%, 20.8%, and 21.3% in each respective month. It also comes as a record 11.6 million college graduates seek employment this year. The increase in youth unemployment, which represents the 16 to 24-year-old age bracket, is another indicator of an overall economic slowdown, with official data released last week showing consumer prices falling 0.3% over the past year. Other signs of slowing include retail sales growth dropping from 3.1% in June to 2.5% last month, industrial production up 3.7% in July after rising 4.4% the month prior, and fixed asset investment jumping 3.4% in July compared to the 3.8% growth recorded in June. Critics argue that China was already fabricating data, including its use of the 16-24 to 24 age range, rather than the World Bank's 15-24 to 24 range, as well as reports that it's encouraging college graduates to lie about their employment status. Others have criticized its definition of employed as working one hour per week. The overall unemployment rate rose from 5.2% in June to 5.3% in July, with the central bank Tuesday cutting its one-year loan rates to financial firms from 2.65% to 2.5%. All of this suggests China, whose economy only grew by 0.8% between Q1 and Q2 this year, may fall short of its 5% growth goal. 
Those are the facts, and our round of spins begins with an anti-China narrative coming from Business Insider. The PRC's expected post-COVID economic rebound is not happening, and Beijing should be worried. Due to declining exports and imports, shrinking property values, and the remaining demographic effects of the one-child policy, China is looking at a depressing economy over the next decade. And Global Times gives us a pro-China narrative. While youth unemployment is dealing with some issues, the overall unemployment rate in China is stable. Furthermore, most of the 11 million college students set to graduate in 2023 already have jobs lined up, which means the youth demographic is still strong and getting stronger. The reason Beijing has paused the release of certain economic data is to give the PRC time to represent a more realistic and factually optimistic outlook for the country. And we have another nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 69% chance that China's GDP will exceed the United States GDP in any year before 2041. Eric, if working one hour a week qualifies as employed, then I am working way too hard. You know what? You need to trim some of those hours. Okay, well, we're going to have to cut some stories from this (laughs) podcast. Vice has blocked stories that are offensive to Saudi Arabia. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Guardian, Washington Post, TBI Vision, and CNN. The Guardian reported on Tuesday that Vice Media blocked news stories that could potentially offend the government of Saudi Arabia after the media company recently signed a high-profile deal with the MBC Group, which the Saudi government controls. The report cites John Lubbock, a freelance writer who said that he and two other writers were tasked by Vice to author a piece about Saudi youth campaigning for transgender rights. After intervention by senior management, Lubbock's story was pulled before a deadline. Managers at Vice said that the decision was motivated by the possibility that the story could pose a threat to the outlet's staff in Saudi Arabia. In another recent example, a Vice film about Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was deleted after being uploaded, allegedly for the same reason. Following the murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, Vice said it would pause all work in Saudi Arabia. However, in early 2020, it secretly helped organize a music festival in the kingdom. In January of this year, Vice signed a deal with the Saudi-owned MBC Group, saying that the new content created exclusively for MBC would include a range of topics including the visual arts and video games. Production was established in Vice's Riyadh office with the agreement including support for regional creators. Vice, which at one point was one of the biggest media companies in the industry, has endured financial stress. Its Vice News Tonight program was canceled, and the outlet also filed for bankruptcy in May. Thank you, Eric, for giving us those facts, and we'll start this round of spins with Narrative A from Almayadeen. Vice, which has already lost so much of its credibility, is seeing the last nail in the coffin as the company has decided to rebrand as a mouthpiece for the Saudi royal family. Though the kingdom has plenty of money to wield influence, its awful human rights record has improved little, and Vice's acquiescence to Saudi interests is morally repugnant. Al Arabia gives us Narrative B. Vice, which has granted endured financial trouble in recent years, plans to reorient itself away from the news and toward culture and lifestyle media. Vice has worked in Saudi Arabia since 2017 and has maintained its editorial independence. Saudi Arabia only seeks to energize the country and the region's youth. In our next story, ex-Mississippi police officers plead guilty to torturing two black men. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, CNN, Reuters, NBC, the Associated Press, and the Daily Caller. 
Six former Mississippi police officers have pleaded guilty to state charges for torturing two black men in January. The officers, all of whom are white, already pled guilty in a related federal civil rights case. Former Rankin County deputies Christian Dedman, Hunter Elward, Brett McAlpin, Jeffrey Middleton, and Daniel Opdyke, as well as ex-Richland police officer Joshua Hartfield, were charged with conspiracy to commit obstruction of justice. Dedman was also charged with home invasion and Elward with home invasion and aggravated assault. The group, which dubbed itself the Goon Squad for their willingness to use excessive force and cover up their actions, entered a Braxton, Mississippi home on January 24th without a search warrant before hurling racial slurs at and physically and sexually abusing Michael Corey Jenkins and Eddie Terrell Parker. They tortured and mocked the victims for 90 minutes and shot Jenkins in the mouth after a failed game of Russian roulette. They then planted drugs and a gun as part of a cover-up story in which they claimed Jenkins resisted arrest and reached for an officer's gun. The officers and victims appeared in court Monday along with Monica Lee, the mother of a black man who died in Elward's custody in 2021. Their story had unraveled after one of the officers reported their lies to the sheriff. The group will face federal sentencing in November, and the officers agreed to the state prosecutor's recommended sentence, ranging from 5 to 30 years. State sentences will run concurrently with federal sentences, which are expected to be longer. Melissa, thank you for the facts of that story. We begin our round of spins with a left narrative, and it's coming from WLBT. The vile and racist abuse by these officers is indicative of the widespread issues with policing in Mississippi and the U.S. at large. The Rankin County Sheriff must resign, as there is no way for him to restore legitimacy to a police department that has been plagued with racism and excessive force. Whether or not the sheriff committed abuse himself doesn't take away from the horrific actions that took place under his leadership. And here's the right narrative from Supertalk Mississippi Media. While the abuse by the six police officers was absolutely horrific, the action of rogue officers shouldn't delegitimize an entire county's police force or be seen as an indictment against law enforcement in general. The Rankin County Sheriff understands what actions must be taken to address the problems. The sheriff took swift action to investigate the abuse of officers and make sure they were prosecuted at the state and federal levels. His leadership proves he should not resign and represents proper administration of law and order. In our next story, Montana youth win a landmark climate change case. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Politico, CNN, Reuters, PBS NewsHour, and BBC News. On Monday, a Montana state court judge ruled in the case of Held versus Montana, deciding that the case had violated the rights of 16 youth and young adults when a law was passed that prohibited agencies from taking climate change into account when approving new fossil fuel projects. In reversing the law, State District Court Judge Kathy Seeley ruled that the legislation violated the state constitution's clause guaranteeing a, quote, clean and healthful environment. The plaintiffs, who were between the ages of 2 and 18 when the suit was filed in 2020, argued that Montana was responsible for an outsized share of global emissions due to its oil, gas, and coal production. At trial, many of the youth testified about the effects of climate change on their lives and family. The state had argued that Montana's share of global emissions was negligible and that if the state stopped emitting carbon dioxide entirely, it would have no effect on global climate change. In light of this, the state says the court has no grounds to provide relief for the plaintiffs. 
In her verdict, Judge Seeley wrote that the plaintiffs proved Montana's carbon emissions were a substantial factor in the effects of climate change seen in the state, deciding that children and youth were disproportionately harmed by climate impacts. The Montana Attorney General's office has vowed to appeal the rule. Those were the facts, and here are the narratives. We'll begin with a left narrative from the conversation. This win is dramatic, to say the least, as a common law basis for the right to a safe climate may be established in the U.S. Several states have a clean environment clause in their constitution, which are now open to climate-centered interpretation in light of this ruling. The American people may finally have legal recourse against environmental degradation and climate destruction. This is a huge win for the planet. We counter that with a right narrative coming from National Review. The reasoning was highly suspect in this ruling, with the state's assessment of this being a publicity stunt having only a kernel of truth to it. Montana's role in climate change is infinitesimally small, with the plaintiffs trying to get a remedy the court simply cannot provide. This reasoning will not withstand scrutiny nationwide as its legislatures, not the legal system that established environmental regulation. In our final story, NASA and NOAA log Earth's hottest July on record. Here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, Fizz.org, Earth Observatory, and the Associated Press. According to U.S. government agencies NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, the Earth just endured its warmest July on record, quote, by a long shot, with NOAA's chief scientist Sarah Kapnick adding that, quote, it's very likely that July 2023 was hotter than any month in any year since at least 1850. Kapnick said that 2023 will almost certainly rank in the top five hottest years on record, also giving it a 50% probability of becoming the hottest ever. NOAA said ocean temperatures also hit record highs for a fourth consecutive month in July, with a brewing El Nino pattern to entrench in 2024. Chief of NASA's Ocean Ecology Laboratory, Carlos de Castillo, said the past 10 years have been the warmest decade for the world's ocean since the 1880s. According to NASA data, July 2023 was overall 1.8 degrees Celsius warmer than the average July in the 29 years before 1951 and 1980. However, parts of the Midwest and Northern Europe have experienced more average temperatures. Europe's Copernicus Climate Change Service last week also declared July the hottest month on record, marking it at an average of 62.51 degrees Fahrenheit, or 16.95 degrees Celsius, six-tenths of a degree Fahrenheit higher than the previous record set in 2019. Records are typically broken by hundredths or one-tenth of a degree, making last month's heat wave uncommon. Melissa, thank you for those hot facts. We've got a few spins, beginning with Narrative A, coming from Space.com. Despite grand pledges from governments to reduce carbon emissions, the Earth is still heating up at a faster rate than ever before. Even as the leader in this global fight, the United States climate budget is running out of money. If we wish to save ourselves from this lethal heat and its resulting natural disasters, we must exponentially increase our efforts to stop emitting CO2 into the atmosphere. And here's Narrative B from Forbes. While climate change is an urgent issue, journalists and activists have an obligation to separate the facts from fiction and describe environmental problems honestly and accurately. The catastrophic framing of climate change does far more harm than good, not only by impacting the mental health of our youth, but by alienating and polarizing large portions of the population and distracting from other important issues. 
Climate alarmism must be taken with a grain of salt. We have our final nerd narrative of today's podcast. It's coming from Metaculous Prediction Community, as always, and they say there's a 50% chance that the average global temperature in the year 2100 will be 2.55 degrees Celsius higher than the average global temperature in 1880. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Wednesday, August 16th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. If you'd like more information on Improve the News, check out our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Melissa Topshire, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.